This is episode number 517 with Princeton faculty members on entrepreneurship, John Danner and Chris Keeney. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. There's a lot of bad reasons to start a company. But there's only one good, legitimate reason, and I think you know what it is. It's to change the world. Phil Libin, the CEO of Evernote, said that. It is Professor Week at the School of Greatness. This week, I'm bringing you some of the best professors in the world to teach right from the podcast. Now, I typically bring you professors of life, the greatest athletes in the world, the greatest musicians, the greatest authors, speakers, spiritual leaders, the greatest minds in general, but I'm actually bringing you real life professors. That's right. John Danner, who's an advisor, teacher, and author and speaker, brings decades of entrepreneurial and professional experience to his global work with leaders in their organizations in many settings. He teaches at both UC Berkeley and Princeton, and he's an incredible teacher on innovation, entrepreneurship, strategy, and leadership. And Chris Keeney, is a successful business builder, growth capital investor, and member of Princeton University's entrepreneurship faculty. He built Rosetta, which is a digital marketing firm, where he and his colleagues translated insights about customer motivation into personalized sales and marketing techniques designed to accelerate growth. He now teaches these techniques to his students at Princeton and applies them to drive the enterprise value of companies at Rosemark Capital, the private equity firm that he founded. These guys are both brilliant in business and brilliant at teaching and breaking down what it means to be a great entrepreneur. And in this interview, we talk about the four personality types that successful entrepreneurs can be and how you can be one of these four in order to build and grow a successful business. We also talk about how to find partners and co-founders for a startup or a business that's already thriving that you have, and how to know which one of the personality types that you need to look for based on your personality type. The big mistake most entrepreneurs make when hiring new team members, we break down how to hire team members, what you should be looking for when you're hiring uh, in the first place, and the best people to hire. We also talk about bringing on investors. Should you bring on investors for your business or should you invest your capital back into your brand as much as possible? We also talk about what makes the difference between entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. This, we break it down, guys, in a very uh, academic level with a lot of research and a lot of data uh, based on years of experience. These guys break it down in something that I thought was fascinating. I could have talked to them for a long time. It's all about building for growth. If you want to grow your business as an entrepreneur, you've got to learn how to create that culture and the growth-mindedness to continue to accelerate your business, your sales, your brand, etc. So this is going to be a fun one. Make sure to share it with your friends. 
for these two professors. Again, lewishouse.com slash 517. And the full show notes are back there with more links to the video, to their information, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure to share it out. lewishouse.com slash 517. And I want to give a big shout out to the review of the week. This is from Jess Rotskaffer, who said, I have been following Lewis for three years now, and I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. His heart for learning about life and sharing his stories and the stories of his guests show that humans are capable of great things, and so are you. So sit down and listen. The School of Greatness is always in session, and you're in for a real treat. So Jess, thank you so much for being the fan in the review of the week And if you guys want to be uh, considered as a shout-out for the review of the week, make sure to go to iTunes or your podcast app and leave a review over on the School of Greatness podcast. All right, guys, it's time to dive in. If you want to learn what's your personality type as an entrepreneur and what it's going to take for you to get to the next level, then without further ado, let me introduce to you the first episode of Professor Week with John Danner and Chris Keeney. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got a couple of guests on today, John Danner and Chris Keeney. Good to see you guys. Thank Thanks you for, for having being us. here. Thanks, Lewis. Appreciate it. Um, I don't know if we've had a lot of professors on, so we've got a couple of Princeton lecturers is what I heard is the correct term. Yes. Not full-time professors. You're also a lecturer at UC Berkeley. At the business school, right. Correct. And you're both extremely successful entrepreneurs who've done incredible things with businesses over the last uh, many decades. And you have this book out, um, which I'm excited to dive in. It just came out. It's called Build for Growth, How Builder Personality Shapes Your Business, Your Team, and Your Ability to Win. And Chris, we were just talking about how you're saying that entrepreneurship is the ultimate team sport. Yeah. Now, some may think that... As an entrepreneur, you got to do it on your own. You're like a solo entrepreneur mindset. How is it actually the ultimate team sport in in your mind? Yeah, well, I think uh, the the best entrepreneurs who scale their businesses are people who figure out how to take an idea, a team, and capital and create value. And so what happens in that process is who you are is present all along the way. In fact, we have this phrase that John and I developed which is who you are shapes how you build. And so it's a deeply personal thing. You know, it was Socrates who said, know thyself. Uh 
And John and I really built our business and built our book around that insight. Yeah, well, I think it's aware, awareness is the key to being a successful entrepreneur. Being aware of your talents, your personality type, isn't that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and I would also suggest that, as we say to uh, our readers and, and students, uh, that entre is the mantra. Uh, of entrepreneurship, okay. that it's all about how you connect things, how you connect ideas, how you connect people, how you connect resources. Uh, and if you go in the dictionary, there is no such word as solopreneurship. <laughs> so folks that think they can do it exclusively on their own are probably kidding themselves or building a very small business uh, in the process. You obviously have to start with personal initiative. But if you haven't figured out a way to make your mission compatible with and of value to the other resources that you need, uh, you probably ought to be looking for another pursuit in life. Mm. So in order to be a successful entrepreneur, uh, let's say success is able to grow your business, you must have a team, a successful team behind you. Is that what I'm hearing you say? You can't yeah. do it on your own, yep. right? That's right. And what's fascinating about what we found in interviewing thousands of entrepreneurs is that there's not just one way to build a team. And so when we looked at uh, a whole series of factors that make up one's personality, or we call it your builder personality, what we discovered is that there are actually four types. You know, the press wants us to believe that you have to be like Steve Jobs uh -huh. or Elon Musk. And in fact, that personality type exists. Right. But it's only one of four. This genius savant type of like. Well, it's that and it's hard driven. driving. Yeah, and, yeah. and the other key aspect of it is someone who who focuses more on the product than the people or the problem or perhaps the mission. In fact, John will tell you a little bit about, so the driver is this, uh, we like to say he's product or she's product fixated, uh, but quite different from another type that we call. Like the, obsessed with the product. It's got to be their way. It's right. perfect. Exactly. Right. right. And you we, hear the stories of uh, Steve Steve's Jobs. Like, yeah punching people or throwing yeah. stuff in the fish tank or whatever. It's like there's air bubbles in there or whatever, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But very different from the Explorer. John, I'll tell you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, the about Explorer is, is really the puzzle solver. Uh, the, the, the Explorer is drawn to the intricacy of some challenge. And almost uh, see the entrepreneurial activity as a way of commercializing this ingenious solution that they've come up with. Um, they have a tendency to shift their curiosity because the next new puzzle may, may attract them before they've had an opportunity to fully scale Shiny the benefit. Syndrome. Yeah, exactly. It's a, hard a to bit. keep them focused on one thing for a few years or even a few moments or, or, or to recognize the diversity of the talents that they need to surround themselves with so that so that the business can actually scale based yeah. on that initial solution as opposed to just being the million dollar idea guy. that's right no that's I right got this million dollar idea Let's yeah do it. that's the first another. one that's the driver million dollar idea it's all got about it. the idea that's yeah. not the explorer no, yeah, the, so the that's the explorer. That's the, the his, that's the systems. That's the systems analytic, the puzzle solver. Puzzle solver. The puzzle no, solver. So the third one, the third one is what we call the crusader, uh, and the crusader is somebody who is fundamentally inspired by a long-term vision. Sometimes not even a vision about the business per se. Uh, it you might become an entrepreneur by accident uh, almost. Um, if you think about uh, a couple of crusaders like Ben and Jerry's, mm. you know, is was, was Ben and Jerry's created to sell ice cream or was it created to sell social uh, change using ice cream and using the, the social benefit and the, and the quality of ingredients as a way of getting the message out to millions and millions of people? Mm. So those are the first three. And then the fourth one. Yeah, and the, the last one is the captain. And so if the first one's about product, the second is about problem, the third is about mission. 
the captain is really most about people. Mm. Of course, they all have to worry about people, but just like when you played sports, the captain of the team could tap the inner productivity of the team, right? Could go to the guy who's not playing well mm. and say the right things that get him or her to play better. So the captain taps that sense of of uh, productivity in a way that the others don't. Right. So if you're not a if you're a um driver then you need a captain on your team such a great point <laughs> right such a great you point can, so you can't you in can't fact, do it on your own without having the captain you are an amazing dude because you just went to the very last chapter where we talk about the fact that these four actually pair quite elegantly in terms of their ability uh -huh. to teach one another the driver needs to learn from the captain and vice versa yes. the crusader from the explorer and vice versa can someone be uh, all of them or mixture or is it kind well, of well it's like interesting you know let's let's use your you were a decathlete uh, yes. earlier in your career right so we suggest that basically at some point yes you have to know yourself we we pay homage to socrates of course uh -huh. uh, but but if we were going to amend that statement it would really be apply yourself Ooh. use the knowledge that you have and then put it into action and we've suggested basically that there are two fundamental strategies that that people could consider one is what we've called the expert builder um, the expert builder, I'll give you a, a, a current basketball example. Think about uh, Draymond Green in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the, the Golden Gate uh, Warriors, the master, uh, or the expert, rather, of the defensive player on, on an NBA team. Somebody who, hones, somebody who hones you know, this unique strength yes. that they have yes. and then takes it to a nearly well, I mean, an all-star level. That's what we call the sort of expert uh, dimension, and that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're a swimmer and the backstroke is your stroke and you're not that good at crawling, or not that good at butterfly. Okay, stay with your original stroke and set the records there. Yeah. But there's another strategy, which is the what we call the master builder strategy, and that's more like the decathlete. That's somebody who basically says, hey, I may not be as great in every one of these activities, but I need to expand my repertoire to include a lot of different so pieces multiple of Multiple tools. Exactly. And, and one I can, tool is the best. Right. You yeah. still are the same person that you started off being. It's just that now your repertoire is a bit more diverse. If, you, if I wanted to use sure. the piano example, suddenly I'm not just playing jazz. I can play symphonies. I can play improv. Uh -huh. I can play up and down all, all 88 keys. That's that's what we're talking about with the master strategy. Who is that person? Is that the captain, or is that um, a separate? How about how about type? how about Roger Federer as a as an example out of sports? Somebody who it's pretty hard to find a weakness right. in yeah. Federer's game. Jordan similar, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and great each, defensive, great each can be yeah. each can be great in their own way, and each can contribute to the success of a business. Um, so we suggest that people consider which of those two approaches is the best for them to start with. And then recognize whichever one they pursue, there's another one available to them. Yeah. So the person, the Federer, what personality type is he? Well, well he each, each, each of the types can aspire to be Federer-like. So the way a driver uh, becomes Federer-like is he starts to take on or she starts to take on some of the qualities of the captain. Got it. So you take on a little bit of everything. That's right. That's right. And so what we found is that you have this sort of homeroom. You have this originating sense. So we were talking before we started here, and our guess is that you're a driver. Driver. That you're about the product. You're very driven. Yes. You want to have impact. You're very high expectations of your team. Mm -hmm. You probably right. hire and recruit the very best people. And if somebody isn't at your level of expertise, yes. no, you're we not should pissed. Have, we should have they're, gone, about, they're, right? they're gone. They're gone. I'm pissed that I 
<laughs> I'm resenting myself, right. resenting them, and then, yes. So, yeah. so, so, you know, our coaching to somebody like you would be, uh-huh. how about finding a mentor or watching the success of a captain? There's a finesse that yes. the captain uses. Because I can say this because I'm a fellow driver. In fact, maybe a recovering driver would <laughs> sure. be the right term. <laughs> sure. So I look and, and am inspired by captains. Yeah. No, I think there's definitely a lot I could do better in every category. But I also see like myself a little bit in each category as yeah, well. So yeah. Like, and uh, I think, I don't know, you guys tell me if I'm wrong. I think uh, the highest level of leadership is probably learning how to master each one of them mm-hmm. and being able to flex in any moment. Yeah. I need to be the captain in this moment. I need to rally the troops. I need to get us back on mission. I need to put people in their place. Yeah. I need to be focused on the product. I need yeah. to be focused on the systems right in this moment. Like our systems are broken. I need to make sure I'm working with the person who's doing that so that we're on board. With the mission, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. No, I think I think building on your point, one of the things that we examined is who are these people, and then what are the core steps to building a business. Mm-hmm. So, how do you go from your concept as you did with this great business to actually making it a reality? Yeah. What are those steps? How do you recruit a team? How do you bring the money in and raise the capital? And so, maybe perhaps we could talk a little bit about how some yeah. of these guys do this differently, so that there's some practical advice that sure. your your listeners. I think can- a lot of my listeners want to know how do you find the right person to hire? Yeah. Like, how do you find yeah. the person that confidence me? Especially the the solo entrepreneur who's. Yeah. Okay, now I've been doing everything on my own and I've only gotten it to a certain point. Yeah. Now I need to hire. I just got an email today of someone saying, how do I find the right project manager? What do I look right. for? Right. How do I find the co-founder who can support me? You know, so, I'm more of a team captain. I need someone to drive this product yeah. home. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about each of those? Why yeah. don't we start with co-founder? John, yeah. you do- so, so one of the things about finding a co-founder, I mean, it's a relationship that arguably you're as likely to spend more time with somebody you're building a business with than somebody you're living partner. with. And yeah, partner, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so it, it, it has a different form of intimacy, uh, but you have that, you have that exclusivity uh, and you have the intensity of a relationship that goes on day in, day out, night, nights, and, and, and the like. And should you so, have a co-founder or well, not? Well, it's, ah, it's, it's a personal, it's a, it's a personal choice. Uh, what, what, we've, what we've suggested in the book is that too many entrepreneurs, when they think about co-founders, you immediately jump into the land of capital N negotiation. That somehow or another, we're automatically talking about how we're going to split the pie, and immediately we're negotiating with one another in almost an adversarial way. Mm-hmm. What we suggest is start off with something much more like a conversation because so oftentimes the issues that motivate me or you are going to be quite different and there's a way to fit them together so that we can work more effectively as team members on an equal basis whether we share equally in the ownership of the business mm-hmm. or not uh, secondly the the issue of knowing which type you are most likely defaulting to you know in tennis are you more likely to want to hit once the hits from your backstroke or your right, right. or your four stroke you know whatever it may be um, the question is Knowing which type you are gives you a choice of saying, do I want a mini me? Do I want somebody else like me because the two of us will be in sync, we'll have the same level of intensity and the like, or do I want somebody who compliments me, what, Rick, what, what, what Chris and I have called the polar compliments, uh, like the captain uh, driver uh, complementarity that we talked about earlier. So understanding who you are getting a sense of who the other person is and seeing where those points of potential friction and compatibility yeah. are in a conversational sense may be the best way to get started down this path. Sure, Drivers have a hard time with other drivers. I mean, heck, one of the challenges of being a driver is we all like to think that we're great to work with and work for, but <laughs> we uh, are. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you ask the folks who've been on our teams, 
you know, drivers can be pretty intense mm. uh, as bosses. Sure. Uh, but Does this not sound so much familiar f- by any chance? I don't know. Ask them. <laughs> <laughs> ask them. Not, not, so much, not so much for captains. Captains are pretty good yeah. at the whole team dynamic. Yeah. Captains, captains are much more comfortable in managing around the we first rather than the me. They're uh-huh. still decisive. They're still, they're still focused on what needs to get yeah, done. Yeah. But they do it in a different kind of way, and they're comfortable with having more fingerprints on the decision-making process. Sure. Whereas explorers and, and crusaders do it even differently still. Mm. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host welcome to the canva guided meditation for stress at work impending deadline generate canva presentations in seconds so fast brainstorm got too big summarize with ai in a click writer's block Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Mm. So, so if you're so if you're a, an entrepreneur and you're making you know hundred thousand to a million dollars, let's say, and you've got a couple people on your team, but you haven't really figured out your team yet. You're just yeah. like, I just had this idea. I started running with it. People, I found a need. Yeah. I started solving the problem for people yeah. and now I have something and I'm just trying to make more money and now figure it all out. Yeah. I think it's a lot of people where they're at. They're like, sure. I, I just made a hundred grand and I, now what do I do? Like, how do yeah. I systematize this? How do I know who's to hire? How do I do this? Who, yeah. am, who am I? You know, yeah. it's like, it's a good problem out. to have though. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there are really two parts of that question. What's the role? Do I need marketing? Do I yes. need distribution, sales? And then Financial what's, person. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then what's the mindset of the person that you're hiring. I think one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs do wrong is they think what they need without thinking about what the employee or the potential uh-huh. employee needs. So in our book, we talk about answering three questions. The first question is, where is this person in his or her career arc? Are they already senior, experienced, yes. and an and, and expert? So they're going to come in, they know exactly how to do the job. Or are they the, at the beginning? Just kind of train them up, and yeah. exactly because that has a profound impact on 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 how it's going to work out. Right. The, the the second one is how exactly uh, does this person operate in the context of the work? So do they like a lot of rules, or do they like much more free form? Flexibility, yeah. Because this is a fundamental. Even in a two person business, you know, are you going to tell me everything I need to do, right, or are right. you going to say? You know, you, you figure it out. So when you start to look at these different perspectives of the potential employee, you can actually match that much better to who you are. So here's an example. A driver tends to want a more senior expert. You're going to be responsible for this. I want you to do it. I expect you to do it really well. Yeah. And uh, tends to be a little bit more rule-bound because you have high expectations. Mm-hmm. You're not going to say, go make it up and let me know how it, comes, <laughs> right, how it right, works right, out, right. right? Right. So this matching, and, and John and I talk a lot about the fit, the fit between the 
founder and the team, the fit between, as we were just talking about, the co-founders or among the co-founders, really, really important. And it mm -hmm. starts with who are you and then who are they and what are the dimensions of matching? Yeah, the, the challenge of scaling, it, it, Chris and I like to, like to boil it down, that, that the challenge of scale is how do you go from self to system? How do you extract the best of who you are as a builder, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, and imprint it on a culture, imprint it on an infrastructure, so that the full commercial benefit of the ideas that you've come up with, that couldn't have been done without you, where you started off doing everything all at once, what's the best of that, the essence mm -hmm. of that, that can be the basis of that new kind of, if you will, the DNA of a scaled enterprise? Right, right. And you've probably experienced this in building your business, right? I bet that if we would talk to any of the people who work with you, they would be able to say exactly what your expectations are, uh -huh. how you want them to operate, what the end goal is, how your viewers, readers, and people who consume your product actually experience it, uh -huh. right? Because yeah. you've worked really hard to choose them based on what motivates them. Right. You've trained and directed them very clearly. And now they are a manifestation of what you're creating here. Yeah, absolutely. Incredibly important and doesn't happen by accident. Right. right, right, exactly, yeah. But you've got just one door into the world of entrepreneurial success. There are three other folks out there doing it in their own way. Mm. And creating a personality type. Exactly, yeah. and, 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 and creating comparable success, but with a completely different pattern. Uh, that, that, that basically, when you start to look at it, and the reason we were able to do it is because of the, the methodology that Chris developed at his former firm, Rosetta, which was the world leader in developing this kind of personality-based clustering to decode customer behavior. Mm. We took that methodology and moved it upstream to try to un uncode, to decode, if you will, the, the personality characteristics at the center, the who at the center of entrepreneurship. Because you know as well as anybody out there that there are gazillion resources on the what to do and how to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what we wanted to do is really acknowledge the greatness and the helpfulness of those kinds of resources, but really focus on that central issue. Who drives this success in an mm -hmm. entrepreneurial context? Yeah, just a quick note. You know, any of your viewers or listeners can actually find out what type they are in just a matter of seconds. We have a website out there. It's www.builtforgrowth.com, okay. and there are just 10 questions. We've been able to distill hundreds and hundreds of questions down to 10 simple mm. questions, and then immediately you discover what type you are and get a lot of other information. Like a little quiz. Exactly. What's the, what's the, what are a couple of the questions? Yeah, so one of the questions is, um, uh, would your friends consider you a control freak? Agree, one, disagree, seven. So you get a, mm, a perspective, got it, got it, got a whole uh, spectrum of answers. Sure. And it's interesting, the explorer, that is the, not, not the driver, but the one right next door in our spec, in our structure, a hundred percent of people we interviewed said, yes, everybody considers me a control freak. Uh, explorer. Explorer. Explorer is the one that does what? Because they're, they're the ones who are curious about the problem. Uh -huh. They have a kind of mechanized view of the way things work. And then they capitalize on it by building a business around it. Mm. And the people who work for them are expected to do it exactly like that. So it's like they, based on a system or processes. Yeah. They, they like build out the maps. Exactly. They, yeah. Exactly yeah. right. They, they, so they love Be to think in equations. Yeah. <laughs> sure. so, so we think of Jeff Bezos as an example of this, right? I mean, he looked at all of commerce mm. before we even called it e-commerce right. and said, wait a minute. This system is imperfect. How about the role of the internet? How about the fact that we can actually start delivering product directly to people's households? And he is systematically basically eliminating many, many retail Crazy, uh, stores. It? Yeah.
Yeah. But it takes, in fact, here's a funny story. Do you know Jeff Bezos actually took his crib apart as a kid? No I mean, way. That's curiosity. Wow. And tenacity. <laughs> his crib Is apart. It, isn't that He's unbelievable? Like, I'm not sleeping in this thing. Right. <laughs> that's right. So talk about being hardwired. I mean, this guy was, was just so curious. He How took everything his crib built. And so he can question why was this built this way? It's, it's yeah. not effective. Right. Or, yeah. and, 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 and that kind of mind. Is is constantly rearranging the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you as things evolve. You don't tend. You don't tend to fall in love with the product the way that a driver sometimes can stay too much in love for too long with the product that was his or her you know original brain uh, brain right. stream. But uh, the explorer takes it apart, puts it back together. Almost, it's almost like recombinant entrepreneurship. <laughs> you know. Uh, so in, in Bezos's case, just think about how many different ways he's sliced and diced the fundamental business that he starts with, mm. how he thinks about brand, how he thinks about customer relationship, how he uses data about the full transactional flow and the, and the start to finish of the customer experience, and then says, okay, what if I built a business around that piece, which is a behind the, behind the scenes, backdoor piece of the business, and suddenly you turn around and we, we were able to interview the person who created Amazon Web Services. That's an example. You know, web services was necessary for the original business, but now it became a freestanding business of its own as part of the uh, Amazon family that is a powerhouse globally. Right. Right. You, know, you know, it might be kind of interesting. We've talked a lot about guys. Uh-huh. Let's talk about some women entrepreneurs. Sure. Because we got the chance to interview some fascinating. Did you, did you interview Sarah Blakely by any chance? We did not get the chance to talk to her directly. She's unbelievable. Yeah. So I we, we talked about. Great. Oh, you did? She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's she, an explorer. She's a great example explorer. of an explorer, right? Because she looked at pantyhose oh, and that's she right. looked at girls and she, she said, deconstructed it and it's like, this doesn't right. work. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. But there, there's another pair of founders uh, in New York that have created a company called Rent the Runway. Oh, yeah. Fantastic idea. I have them to my class, exactly, and they're both named Jen, Jen and Jenny. Uh, And and their vision was young women want that Cinderella moment. So the founding vision, they they happen to be crusaders, or at least uh, Jenny Flace, who we talked to, is. So she wanted to bring this incredible moment to reality for girls who couldn't afford to buy a $1,500 dress. Mm -hmm. So the concept was, as you know, Let's go out and negotiate purchasing these dresses and then rent them and then re-rent them. And the average dress is rented something like 30 or 40 times. It's a fantastic Crazy. business. But it all wow. started with this idea of the fact that what can we do for young women? How can we make mm. them feel like Cinderella when they go to the prom? That's cool. or they go, Yeah. And then maybe we should talk a little bit about Marjorie Krauss. Marjorie Krauss is the founder of the, one of the largest, if not the largest, privately held PR firms in the world. She started off as a teacher, a, a civics teacher, and has ended up basically applying that kind of uh, facilitated learning focused, uh, let's, mm-hmm. let's figure out how we can help one another approach to PR and created a, a different model that was uh, basic, very team-based, lawyers and PR people and issue people and media people, et cetera, to help help their clients solve these integrated issues of how do I get along better with a government agency or how do we position our company or how do we deal with a disaster that may have happened to us. Mm. And Marjorie's entire approach is the captain's approach. You can see it in how she positions herself. You can see it in how she leads. Even the language that she uses Mm. is very much team-centric. 
the last thing she would, I think, want anybody to say in, in, in encountering her is that, hey, that's Marjorie's way of doing things, or we do things because Marjorie told us to do it. She would much rather have a culture in which people do what they otherwise are inclined to do, and she's there to basically empower and support them mm. with accountability. Right. With accountability. Right, right. Yeah. This is not let a thousand flowers bloom and yeah, see yeah. what happens. No, I say, here's where we're going. Exactly. Let's stay on track. And, and when we use the term captain, the, you're, you, you, you've obviously had a very extensive sports career. The, the kind of captain we have in mind here is the player captain, somebody who's on the field yeah. but acting as the captain. It's not the captain of the ship necessarily or the coach on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. No, this is a person who's, who's in the middle of the game. Yeah. You, yeah. you grew up in Columbus, is that Near right? Columbus, yeah, yeah, Delaware, Ohio. So, so, so one of the other uh, captains whom we met is a woman named Cindy Monroe. This is an incredible story. So she and a number of women her, in her church group were trying to figure out how to make a little bit more money to take some of the financial pressures off the family. And she developed a bag, uh, like a, a handbag that was particularly successful, and she figured out how to manufacture it. And then they built other products. And it was, it's basically 100,000 women across the country today, multi-hundred million dollar, almost billion dollars in sales. And she started in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and moved her entire company actually to Columbus, Ohio, wow. because she wanted to tap into some of the e-commerce talent in your mm-hmm. old, old backyard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when she moved the company, she found that some of the people she had brought had not actually grown with the company in the same way. And, and this happens with very fast-growing companies. Sometimes the company grows faster than the team does. And so a captain holds people accountable, is very clear in direction, and then when people fail... They honorably remove those folks. Yeah. Say, so if this she, is what we expect. Exactly. If you're not hitting this or making it happen, then. Yep, yep. And they're open, honest, yeah. supporting. But after several tries, if the person doesn't achieve that goal, then, then they're. They're not a good fit. Or, yeah, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And those, so she was in this situation. She moved her company to Columbus. Yeah, mm. th- th- those kinds of folks would not have lasted very long. In a driver run right, business, with, with Jobs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Steve Jobs, exactly. So, what's the uh, what's the most effective uh, personality type, or is there one that's the uh, most successful in building a business? No, there is there is no hierarchy here. Really, no, no. So driver, uh, the there, best. Are, there are there are there <laughs> are. Listen, just you, ask be us, nice. we'll tell you. Right, that's right, right. that's right. <laughs> no, no, like, as, as, as much as you'd like to think you're the sort of king of the crop, no, you're just one of a quartet. Got it. Uh, and there are fabulous examples of huge businesses each uh, up and down type. and across yeah, yeah. the industry landscape too. Um, you know, you can pick almost any industry and say, we hear are examples of how that particular kind of company has been built differently by four yeah. different types. And you can turn it around and say, if I know only which builder type you are, I can pretty much predict what kinds of issues you're likely to encounter, where, which things are going to be easier for you, which things may be more difficult for you as you try to move from a startup to a standout uh, organization. This, this yeah. is the real power of it, because if you know which type you are, we can actually predict, as John just said, this pattern of success and failure. Mm. So you can actually see over the next hill. What are you going to run into? Right. So what am I going to need to grow, to get well, to the you, next level? You, start, you started us off in this. You, know, I, it, you may not need a co-founder, but you might want somebody who has a kind of captain's instinct uh-huh. uh, and, and, who, and who can hold their own with you and against you right. in an argument where you come in saying, hey, I'm Lewis. 
I know what the heck we want to get done here. Right, right, right. Let's not, you know, I think you all agree with me, don't you? Yeah. No, that's not going to cut it. Because sooner or later, the difficulty is, however talented the team is that you've surrounded yourself with, at some point, everybody's making a decision. How much can I challenge you? Is it, is it still safe for my job? Is it still mm-hmm. safe for me to be in this organization? When I know he's wrong, when I think I've got a better idea, but I'm not going to go up against the force of personality that mm-hmm. I see coming directed at me. Sure. That's the kind of place where a captain or somebody with that kind of instinct can say, hey, whoa, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you may be better off, both personally and organizationally, to have people who feel a greater sense of ownership of mm-hmm. what you could together are doing and back off a bit, give them a little bit of room, and play listener rather than leader a, right. a little bit more. Right. So that's just one idea. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, there you can learn also from the other folks. You can learn from an explorer. You can learn from a crusader as well. Crusaders are great. But a driver probably needs a captain by his or her side to yeah. really make sure it's kind of balancing out the teams. Whether, whether that's a coach, whether that's somebody yeah, yeah. in your company, whether it's a co-founder. But there's a perspective there that is probably not one that comes naturally to you. Got it. Got it. I think I have that person. So that's I think good. Matt's that person, obviously. So my my you haven't met Matt, but yeah, and he's very and he feels empowered and he can t- tell. Yeah, we the, play college football together too, uh, so he's known me for so a long time. That's and good. Yeah, he can challenge me pretty yeah. much anything. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, if I'm like, no, nah, I don't like that, then but I respect his judgment and his yeah. opinion, and I'm always yeah. like, yeah, you're probably right on a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So it's good to Do have. Do you that see kind of raising balance. capital for your for your business to go further faster? Um, you know, I've had offers for people that wanted to invest, uh, especially this year, but I just started from literally not just sweat Mm -hmm. equity Mm -hmm. to not having, you know, I was in three credit cards and debt and Mm -hmm. student loans. So I didn't have this like surge of money to invest in. I think it was actually, yeah. And it keeps me very kind of like power of broke mindset of like, (laughs) I've always got to be, um, just resourceful in our ideas and yeah. our hustle and our energy and yeah. invest wisely yeah. the money that we do have back into the brand the business and the growth marketing stuff like that um i don't know i think let me tell you yeah. a quick personal story because i built a business that reached 250 million dollars mm-hmm. we brought outside capital in when we were about 45 million dollars four years later we were $250 million wow. in business, uh, in revenue, and sold the business for $600 million, a little less. Very good. Congrats so, on that. Thank you, dude. That's nice. So, so at the right time, right bringing time, outside capital in can allow you to go further faster. Really? Okay. But what if you don't use it the right way? Ah, or how do you know very when, important question. How do you <laughs> know when it's the right time? Good that's point. the that's the issue of this fit between the builder and the investor or the backer, and too many folks when they get to a point where you need capital, it's regardless of whether it's right up front or after you've built something and proven it, now you want to take it to the uh-huh. to the heights. Too many people say, "I need money," and wherever it comes from, I'll take it. There's just as much alignment need, just as much of a need to feel what's the kind of it fit between who I am as a builder and who you are as an investor. Not just in terms of risk reward uh, you know, ratios and those kinds of things, but are you the kind of person from an investor point of view that I can leverage beyond the money that I'm going to get from you? Are you the kind of person who has the same kind of tenacity that has the same ability to complement how I would drive this business in the absence of our relationship mm. to maybe do something better that, together that we either of us could do on our own? Right. So there's that same question of trying to find the type of investor, both by style, by role, by stage, and by size, mm. that matches what you're trying yeah. to do. And too often, 
the, the talk about the, the the shiny object in front of you. A big check with a lot of a lot of zeros and a lot of commas is a, is a very seductive kind of thing. The difficulty is that builders sometimes move rapidly to get that, only to realize that they've they've basically bought themselves into the wrong kind of marriage. Yeah. So yeah. a concrete example, perhaps for you, if we could get yes. a little personal, let's do it. Uh, so so drivers tend to be so excited about their idea that sometimes they oversell the idea, and the investor comes in at too high a valuation mm-hmm. and then has a hard time making money, mm-hmm. and then a friction starts to develop because you're passionate about your idea. And the investor actually wants to force you to do other things to get the right. return. Yeah. So if you strike a fair deal, that's what you I would, yeah. don't oversell the idea. And I would guess, given how passionate you are about where you want to take your platform, and you you shared with us you want to take it into spirituality, and you've got all the, you want an investor who's equally passionate about your vision, yeah. right? And as John said, a lot of drivers and a lot of other of, of our personality types actually choose the investor for the wrong reason. The ego of a big valuation, the ego of some famous investor. The ego of a big check or whatever. Exactly. What you really want is someone who has a shared vision. And in order to achieve that, you really have to understand what builder personality you are. Mm. And I think you have to understand where you want to go. Crucial. You know what I mean? I think I've been offered uh, money by a few different people and, you know, other people are just like, I wish I could invest in you. And, uh, I think it's challenging for, for me, I'll just speak openly, and I think some people who have no listening, who have kind of like this personal brand behind their business mm-hmm, too, mm-hmm. it's almost why I try to separate my name from my brand more mm-hmm. and more. I call it mm-hmm. more the school of greatness as opposed to the Lewis House show or whatever. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like people who are kind of attached to this brand, their own personality, how do they separate? You know, it's like a Tony Robbins person. How does he mm-hmm. separate and getting investors, mm-hmm. but also not selling his name, Yep, quote unquote. Yep. Um, so I think it's kind of interesting when, when we're in the educational space online, it's like, how do I yeah. know when it's going to be the right time Yeah. when I'm not even clear if I want to exit anytime in the next five sure. to 10 years sure. personally, just because I haven't explored it enough. Yeah. Cause I, I'm like, I don't know what else I'd do. I love well, it. You know, and so, like, and <laughs> s- some investors, I would just recreate the same thing <laughs> and not with a non-compete clause. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, so some investors want to exit. Other investors may give you the capital and want to ride alongside for as long as you want to do it. And there's other partnership opportunities with them and they're a part of it and you're paying them out every year a certain dividend. Lots lots of different ways of doing it. But I think you may... So you don't have to do it to exit. You don't. You don't. Because different investors have different investment horizons and and structures and goals. But I think you're right. It starts with the key question. What the heck am I going to do with this money? And in making the compromise of bringing somebody else into my business, Mm -hmm. what's the, you know, get to the, for the give. What, are yeah. you going to be able to go into new geographies? You're going to be able to go into new verticals. Hire You're going to hire people, yeah, people yeah. faster. Translate it into Mandarin, you know, et cetera, right, et cetera. Right. Yeah. What do yeah. you think? So you think it's better to bring on an investment in your business if you want to grow, or is it okay to use the capital you already have saved and put that back in your business? Well, that's to always grow? the better way to go. The that's second always, way. Yeah, always a better way to go up to the point at which you're capital constrained. In other words, your business isn't throwing off enough capital yeah. and it's actually slowing you down. Right. So how much do you want to be bring, bringing in every month or how much, I guess, core capital target do you want to have in the bank for- I don't think there's any real empirical number. It's mm. really you. What, what you feel you comfortable want, with. What, what you feel s- comfortable with. And then 
what what would you use the money for? I like yeah. John's point. Would you translate it into Mandarin? What does that cost? Is that more than the money you have in the bank or mm-hmm. go into another vertical? Do you guys believe you should be investing a lot of your money and resources back into the business as much as in the early days possible? for sure? In the early days for sure. Just allow for yeah. bigger growth. Yeah. yeah, it's not just to allow for bigger growth. Uh, you know, every business has to start with a with a with a lot of confidence and, and hubris, right? I mean, people wouldn't do entrepreneurship if, yeah. if they were of the faint of heart, right? Yeah, you got to think that you've got an idea that beats the status quo uh-huh. at the very least, because that's the biggest competitor any sure, entrepreneur sure. faces. So you're out there, basically acting on an assertion. You know, I know something that nobody else knows yet, and I'm going to basically create a story that I can tell and sell around and a story that I can gel a team around. So telling, selling, and gelling is part of mm, what I, like I do, right? Sounds like a, a shoe sole. Yeah. <laughs> so, Magellan, Magellan. Did you guys see those so, commercials? Yeah, yeah the Magellan. Magellan, Magellan. So you end up sort of acting on your own assertion, your own sense of confidence. But sometimes being willing to invest back in is a matter of buying learning. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. It's buying the learning that can come from saying, how do we test this? What experiments mm. am I running right Keep now playing. in my business? What are the three or four assumptions that I'm making that if I could just test a little bit more, I'd be that much more confident about this strategy change or that strategy change or this tweak in my product or that person even? So it's research and development essentially. Yeah, but it's, but it's, it's about the, the continued discovery mm. of what and pushing the boundaries of what you really do know as opposed to what you act like you know. Uh, and what the business can act on, then sometimes investing in your business is a good way to invest in yourself and your own knowledge, mm. your own learning. There, there is a point where you want to start taking shekels off the table, though, right? Just you've worked really hard. More, yeah. yeah, you've worked really hard. Um, every business has some set of risks, some of which are imaginable, some of which are unimaginable. And you've worked so hard to create something of value, you do want to make sure that you're you know, putting putting it away in some form, mm-hmm. and and this is the motivation a lot of entrepreneurs uh, are are sparked by uh, when they think about bringing outside capital in. They think I've created a business of a hundred, I'm willing to sell you fifteen, and I'd like to take fifteen and put it in the bank uh-huh. so I can pay off my mortgage yeah. or I can make sure my kid's college is taken care of or whatever it is. Right. So I think it is important once you've gotten to a certain uh, threshold to actually start start taking a few mm. dollars off the table. What do you think? Um, there's a great book, this one actually right here. I don't know if you guys have read this one, The One Thing. Have mm. you guys seen this yet? No. So. Uh, it's all about um, having one core thing that you focus on and mm. making that the best thing as a product, service, uh, you know, I've got multiple products and services, and sometimes I feel like I've got too many ideas that I want to execute on, and are they going to all be at a lower level because I'm working on too much, or should it just be one thing we do so, over better than anyone else, and that's the only thing we all do? All right, so, so we were I, talking I, about yeah, a version I, of this at lunch today. I think, I, I think the question here is you've got to recognize there's a completely other point of view, and both can be right. So let me let me just... Put, connect that idea back with something that Chris and I are familiar with. There was a guy at Harvard Business School uh, named Fred. Wer- How does he pronounce his name? Wersima. 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 Yeah. Uh, 
Um, and he had a, a very famous book at the time called The Strategy of Market Leaders, right? And his approach was very much consistent with the one thing. Uh-huh. Only he said, basically, companies can, can pick one of three targets, right. right? You can be product excellent, you can be operationally superb, or you can be customer intimate, right? And don't try to be two of those things. Don't try to hmm. be all three. You'll water down everything. Really? So his was very much about pick the focus. That's how you become a strategic leader. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because every entrepreneur struggles with the tension between focus and flexibility, right? You, you, you want to do this, but on the other hand, an opportunity comes in and you suddenly <laughs> turn around and say, well, okay, I'll go over right, here. That's right, part right. of my strategy too. And somebody over here says something else, yeah. right? So that focus flexibility is, is part of the entrepreneurial challenge every day. Yeah. Here's my challenge on that one. Is Amazon only a one-thing company? Is Southwest Airlines only a one-thing company? I think increasingly the success, if you're going to be, if you want to succeed in a globally competitive market, particularly one in which brands are setting expectations for customers across the board, how do you, do you do, when somebody when somebody buys this bottle of water, they're affected by how could Amazon have gotten me that water, right? Mm-hmm. They they've it colors their expectation. Did Amazon could Amazon get me this uh, tomorrow as opposed to do I have to go to a store to get it, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So I think the way industries are now coming together and brands are being threatened, it may be that you have to be all three of those things as table stakes for success. What are the three again? Operational excellence, right? You're great in the back office. You've got yes. very smooth business processes and that sort of thing. Systems, you're product order. excellence. Product excellence. You've got God's gift to you know a laptop or God's gift to publishing or whatever it may yeah. be. Or customer intimacy. I know my customers better than anybody else. You have to master them all, right? I, I, that's your that's, product that's, sucks. That's my. That's <laughs> you're good at like loving on your customers when view. they're complaining. Exactly. exactly. So I think yeah, yeah. I think the idea of of single mindedly focusing on one thing, if you're going to do that, you've got to make sure you are at least at a not leadership level, but at least at a competitive level in those other dimensions mm-hmm. of your business, mm-hmm. because that's what your customers are going to demand. Mm. Now, there are any examples of companies that have one product that they do the product so great. That's the only thing they do. The operations is great. Um, and what's the third thing? Customer again? intimacy. The customer experience is great. Their intimacy. Yeah. Is, there, is there companies that you know that are just like, this is all they do is one product or one service? Yeah, or, or one kind of originating <laughs> idea that then gets sliced and diced a lot. Of Who would that be? Well, I was, I, I was, I th- I was going to give you the example of... of um, of uh, oh the, the the guys that went out of business with the, with the iPhone Blackberries, uh, oh, Blackberry. they had yeah, one thing. Rim. Rim. rim yeah, yeah rim I mean they had one thing that was one product that was big, pretty pretty great pretty, huge for a while pretty great and then yeah. they didn't innovate right <laughs> that's right yeah they got they got cut in their they got caught in their own cul de sac and right? as industries evolve and change as the Ubers of the world and the Airbnbs and all these other companies evolve the Amazons we have to learn how to evolve and innovate right I think that's right and you have to recognize that the traditional boundaries of your industry are probably changing before you can even recognize so it. quickly and I it, mean and 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 you can look no further than find find the experiences that your customers are having mm-hmm. that they want to talk to their friends about regardless of what products involve what industries involve and see ask yourself yeah. what I sometimes ask ask clients and students I, I say WWGD People look at me and say, what, what's that mean? I said, what would Google do? Yeah. Because what Google does more often than not is answer with the scariest word in the business vocabulary, free, free. Think about it. Did you get your check from Google last week? 
Did I get a check? No. Oh, really? You're kidding me. I might have actually got some like commissions or something. Yeah. But, yeah well, no, no, I didn't so, get a check so from just, Google. Yeah. Just imagine. You know, all of us are working for Google except for North Korea and China. Yeah. China. They figured out a business model that uses all of us, oh, but we're not paid anything. We're not being paid for they, have, yeah. they have figured out a way to monetize mm. what, how we search, how we do mashups, yes. how we think about using Google Docs and, and the like. Everything. Pretty clever. Voice, video, Pretty everything. Pretty clever. Chat, yeah. Um, oh, gosh. What was I going to say here? I had a thought. Well, you're thinking about yes. that. I'm just curious as to how you read that book. With your, with respect to your business, the one thing, yeah, I was, I think it's more of a mindset of like having one great, uh, using your strength and like yeah. maximizing that strength, right? Because, because this is how I see, I, I, I agree with a lot of what John said. I think another way to sort of address this question is what's the unifying thing that gets you up in the morning, mm. the the lens through which you think about all kinds of things in life, like your new book coming yes. out, right? Yes. What's that unifying thing? And then what are the many ways you can actually deliver it? You've done a masterful job of taking content and figuring out all the different ways you can distribute mm-hmm. it. Those aren't different businesses. There's this one thing or series of things yeah. that you're passionate about. The essence right? of it, yeah. Exactly. And And for me, that one thing has been, why do people do what they do? And I went into marketing mm. because of that. Mm-hmm. I, I built a business around that. Uh, I teach around that. John and I wrote a book that it touches on it. So I think if you're really lucky, you stumble on this curiosity or passion around which so much of your career and professional satisfaction can come. Mm. I mean, you started as a terrific athlete, right? You took your athletic passion yeah. into your business. Yeah. So my guess is that you have a couple, one, two, or three interrelated passions sure, sure. that become that one thing. Yeah. And then you slice and dice it and you mm. got to do these other things. Yeah. But, I also get bored once I kind of like taking something to a certain level. Yeah. It's like... If I want to do this yeah. every day, no. Yeah, How sure. can I yeah. like you know have fun and be adventurous and try something new? Right. I remember what I was going to say. Um, there's a lot of uh, people in my space. Kind of when I first started this podcast four and a half years ago, I remember thinking to myself, "No one is doing podcasts yet," but I feel like that's where everyone's going to be. And it's I remember a great th- medium. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I just feel like I sh- I can do this. Like, if other people, were, my friends were doing it, they said they loved it. And I was like, I just feel like it's going to take off when smartphones get like smarter yeah. and they're in the cars. I was just like, I just feel like it's going to take off. So I started doing the podcast. It took off. Everyone else started launching them within a few years afterwards. Serial came out and these other big shows and yeah. it kind of brought this attention yeah. to the podcast world. And I remember thinking like, how am I going to build a business around this free interview series? Yeah. And I was asking my other marketer friends. I used to create a lot of online courses before and I, I sold that business because I wasn't passionate about the topic anymore. But I love education and teaching mm-hmm, and packaging mm-hmm, content. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I would just love to bring my community together and like do mm-hmm. a big live event. I remember asking friends mm. who had events in the past and they were like, I'll never do events anymore because it's so much work and time. You lose all this money and it's like you work all year for this thing. And I was like, yeah, but like, I feel like as everyone was saying they weren't doing it, I was like, I want to go lean into that then. Yeah. And I want to do a big event and create wow. an experience. Even if I lose money in the first year, like, I want to. I wonder why people aren't doing this it. This is and the maybe driver at play, right? But I was here. just like, if they're not doing it, or they tried it and it didn't work out, how can we make an experience that's unique upon the whole industry that works? 
that works and that people right are like, I have to buy a ticket for the next year, like right, right now. Yeah. And so we did that last cool. year and we have another one coming up. What's here. it called? It's called the Summit of Greatness. Ah. So we've got the School of Greatness podcast. Cool. The book, Summit of Greatness, the School of Greatness Academy. So we continue to build yeah. into verticals yep. in different learning experiences. Yeah. From the audio to written to in person yeah. to workshops. It's all the same message. It's yep. how you experience it yep. and internalize it differently. And um, it's a platform where we bring the biggest speakers in the world who've been on the show to come wow. speak in person and help promote their book and all yeah. that stuff. But I was just like, how the can Summit of Greatness? Summit what of a greatness. great brand name that like is, that? too. Yeah. I love that. It's clean, huh? Yeah. Uh, thanks. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always thinking of like, how can we be innovative yeah. in our approach yeah. as an entrepreneur? And maybe you guys yeah. can correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I could have done the event and it would have been a big failure. You know, I don't know. But I was just like, there's something here to why people, if it's too hard for them to do, then like, and they're not willing to stick it out, then there's an opportunity, I felt like. Yeah. I wonder if you introduced that product form at just the right time. Maybe. you'd built this franchise. Maybe. And they wanted to do something live with you. Maybe. And also another example, again, not to try to like toot my own horn here or anything or say I have the answers because I definitely don't. Everyone in my space was doing like just eBooks mm-hmm. or they were self-publishing. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Like, let's try to, let me try to stand out. Let me try to like, because writing an eBook or self-publishing, you're not going to get a chance in the New York Times bestseller list. That's right. And yeah. I just knew that would help with credibility and everything with the brand if I hit that list. Yeah. I was like, it's going to take two years at least in like using a traditional publisher. You guys mm-hmm. just went through this. I'm yep, assuming yep. you, yeah, Harvard yeah, Business yeah. Press. Yeah, you know, you can't just release it whenever you want. Nope. You've got to go through the process. Yeah. It's like, I mean, just the the butting of heads with the publisher and the ideas <laughs> of everything. Right? It's a lot of work, and it's yeah, it like, is. is this worth it when the advance isn't that much, and you're putting it all back into the marketing, and at the end of the day, you're not making any money. But I was like, it'll be worth it because it'll give it a different level of credibility than yeah. what everyone else in the space. And it worked. And it, it worked. It could have not worked. Yeah. Yeah. But I was willing to at least risk yeah. to go for it than yeah. be like, man, when I came out with an ebook and. You got a lot of people in your audience who are entrepreneurs or what yes. we sometimes call entrepreneurs, yes. right? They're people on the sidelines saying, hey, is this for me? Yes. What, what's it going to take? And I think one of the things that Chris and I have come away with in, in, in researching and writing this book is that. To some extent, what separates an entrepreneur from the rest of us, or the rest of those who haven't ever done it, because we both have done it, is being willing to take the next step to pursue an idea. And I mean it on that basic level. Take the next step. Mm. Too Even often, when others suggest you oh, should. Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely. you just did twice because, over. Because yeah. too often, people imagine the mountain ahead of them. And yes, there's a lot that nobody knows. And yes, there's a lot of risk. And yes, mm-hmm. there's a lot of uncertainty. But the fundamental courage to take an idea to the next step, whatever it is. And then apropos of your summit of greatness, um, I'll, I'll give you an idea that you might want to might consider because sure. you, you're, you're looking for something that is not just a great event but also can galvanize a community even more. Absolutely, and so, get them more invested in the brand. Yeah, so I, I, I attend a conference called TED um, yeah. every year, and, and I'm the guy that came up with the idea for something called TEDU, which is the nickname for TED University. Sure. And the reason behind that idea was really simple. Uh, Ted attracts a lot of really interesting people, Absolutely. both on the stage and in the audience. And I suggested to the, the folks that own and run Ted that it might be great to not just offer the podium to the folks on stage, but give people in the audience an opportunity to share some of their stories in a perhaps more informal way, uh, in a more kind of casual way. 
and it's become a very popular part of the TED and TED Global Conferences. You've got the same kind of opportunity here because the Summit of Greatness is going to attract a lot of people interested. It's going to attract a lot of great people, but not just the folks that are on the stage. So there may be an opportunity for you to figure out a way to, mm. in effect, think of the audience more like popcorn of possibilities. Yeah, Micro exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and that takes, a, that takes an event in a different kind of direction because then I'm not just audience watching, being inspired. I'm actually co-creating part yeah. of the content yeah, and creating cool. the spirit of community. What would you recommend there? So Find out more about who your audience is. Find out what motivates and they're passionate about and make it possible for them to maybe seek one another out in the, in the course of the event itself or even beforehand. Because what I think you're likely to find is you're going to find these little networks that you'd never imagine yeah. that are out there. And the people who are coming to your event are going to be curious about finding other people with similar interests or just, frankly, learning about something else that they'd never thought about before. Because all of us know something that's of interest to somebody Absolutely. else, right? But too Direct often... having like a studio set up where people can just go in that's and one, professional that, that'd style. Be, that'd be one way to do it. Uh, there are lots of ways, depending on the technology sure, that you've sure. got available and how big the venue is. That's cool. I like that. Hmm. What else should people know about this? I'm fascinated by this topic, and I'm glad you guys are in here because this is fun for me to talk about. What other, whatever feedback would you guys give me? You guys are the seasoned pros who've <laughs> built and sold multiple million-dollar companies, teaching at the highest academic level. You know, you've interviewed the top people in this space. What else should someone like me or my audience understand about the next steps for myself or them? in their entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we could just review because we've covered yes. a lot of territory. So our first piece of advice is know thyself. Really mm -hmm. discover what type of builder you are. And you can go to the website, builtforgrowth.com yep, to exactly. take a 10-question test yep, and understand. It take, takes, takes less than two minutes to do. Yep. And then they're just a series, and we've talked a lot about them throughout this discussion about core decisions that you make. We talked about co-founder. Do you need one? And if you choose one, how do you choose the best one? And what should the structure be? Exactly. Yeah. Your team. How do you recruit the right team members? Your customers. There's a great book that we reference quite a bit in our book called Crossing the Chasm by a guy named Jeffrey Moore. And there's a process by which you actually outgrow your customers. And so how do you choose the right customers at the right time in building your business? How do you raise the right capital? In each one of these questions, there's a nexus of who you are and how you do each of those steps. John wrote another great book, actually, before uh, John and I got together, called The Other F Word, and perhaps uh, we could end on, on uh, Fun? that point. No, uh, <laughs> failure. Uh, failure. It's a, it's a book called The Other F Word, How Smart Leaders, Teams, and Entrepreneurs Put Failure to Work. And the reason why that was so interesting to me uh, was that if you're serious about innovation, if you're serious about entrepreneurship, you've got to be willing to dance with a partner. Mm -hmm. And the partner is failure. Mm -hmm. And most of us, uh, not naturally speaking, of course, understand failure as this inevitably regrettable event. But what makes failure so unique is that when you look at it with a bit more humility and maybe even a sense of humor, what you recognize is that it has profound ability as a strategic resource on a par with the people you hire, with the money you're spending, with the technology you're using. Because failure is basically nature's way of saying, you've been conducting an experiment all along, <laughs> and we know what you didn't know. Mm. So you've already paid the tuition. You might as well get the education that right. goes with it. And we're all expert at creating failure. So obviously, nobody wants failure for its own sake. 
But if you're, if you're committed to growth, if you're interested in building value, you've got to be willing to understand that you're in the process of experimentation and you need to learn from both sides. So the connection from my mind, the reason I was interested so much in doing this book with Chris, is that growth is what every organization needs, whether you're a brand new startup or a big company or a, or a nonprofit organization, mm-hmm. because growth is what fuels opportunity. Growth is what gives people a, the, the palette upon which they can make dreams possible. How do you grow? We've answered the question about who are the people that are connected to basically building growth. Four different types. Not the kind of, not only the folks that you see in the media. There are four completely different flavors of highly successful entrepreneurial builder types. The failure book is about, hey, we're all human. We're all fallible. So let's, let's be honest about what's going to be involved in growing because to the extent we can get comfortable with the failure side of the equation, it's going to make our ability to grow and our odds of succeeding that much better. Wow. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And, and this question of growth isn't just growing your business, it's growing yourself, right? A lot of what you talk about is how do you become a better person. Absolutely. And that's where we end our book. How, how do you become a stronger builder? And as we talked a bit at the beginning, Stronger builder, you can either be an expert or you can be a master builder. You can either basically leverage your strengths and buffer your weaknesses, or you can start to take on the strengths of others and become a master builder or a master tennis player like Mm, Roger Federer. Sure. Uh, And so our dream for this book is that we actually help entrepreneurs across the range from people who start their own companies or work in large companies in an entrepreneurial role, and they personally grow because they understand themselves better. They understand that the nexus of their personality, it's out there all the time. Mm-hmm. And by understanding sure, how sure. you play, yeah, yeah. you can actually play the game much better. Mm. And we've been gratified. Um, you talked about the New York Times bestseller. We've, we've now become a Wall Street Journal bestseller. So we have right. not yet, not, not New York <laughs> Times, but the Wall Street Journal, which is really terrific because it's sparking a conversation with the audiences that we talk with, Absolutely. with the clients we have, with the students we get a chance to meet with. And it's part of, of, of enhancing the conversation that all of us have in common, which is, how can we do this better? Yeah. How can we grow That's these great, businesses great more strongly? How, mm-hmm. how is it that we can learn from one another? How can we learn about ourselves so that we can leverage the mm-hmm. time and talents that we have to do sure. the things that we care the most about? What was the biggest failure that, failure that both of you had over the last, you know, your career? And what was the biggest lesson you learned from that? Um, I'll, I'll, give you, uh, I'll give you two. Um, I worked for Bill Clinton uh, in his first term as governor of, of Arkansas, um, which was a, a, a checkered experience, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, and I learned a couple of things about that. Uh, one is the importance of character and power together, that uh, when you have political power, you have corporate power, it's a test of character. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, character is, is ultimately... I think ultimately more important than the power you may have. Um, so that was an opportunity to to work closely with somebody of an extraordinary talent. Um, 
but somebody whose experience at that stage in his career um, gave me a, a very powerful lesson because he ended up not being reelected in that first term. I, mm-hmm. I was off in Washington doing some other things by the time that happened. But, and the second was one of my businesses bombed. Um, and it was, I, I poured my heart and soul into this thing uh, and had dozens and dozens of people working with us. And it mm-hmm. had its moment in the sun, but just didn't work out. So I had to confront this issue you know, personally. And what I came away with after the depression and after the <laughs> yeah. sort of what, what, what do we do wrong and all the postmortems, wow. what I came away with is I'd do it again because it brought out a, a level of passion and commitment. And the things that ultimately proved to be its demise, to some extent, were beyond my control. To some extent, if I'd been smarter, I, yeah. I probably would have anticipated things. But it gave me uh, it gave me the scars of of, of failure that in hand, in fact have enhanced me ever since. Mm, so that's good. those are two. Wow. Yeah, my two kind of run parallel. I I started my career at Johnson Johnson. I, in fact, I was the guy who brought decorations to band aids. Mm. Uh, so I ran oh, really? the band aid brand. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad and, you didn't uh, get a license for that. Yes, huh? <laughs> yeah. yes. As a matter of fact, Michael Jordan's agent wanted us to put Michael Jordan's face on a band aid. Mm. Oh, it was cool. Did you guys do it? The problem was that he wanted a hundred million dollars for yeah. that, which was more than all the revenue of all band aids oh, combined. Right. <laughs> it's hilarious. So they did a little bit of a miscalculation. That's funny. But I, I'd had a, a successful uh, start to my career at Johnson Johnson, earned the right to run the largest business at Johnson Johnson at the time, which was the Tylenol brand. Mm. And within two weeks of being the brand manager, the group brand manager of Tylenol, I realized I hated the job. So I'd worked nine years to get to this point oh. where I really wanted this job. And the nature of the job just didn't fit what I thought was the most fun about marketing, which is to figure out what motivates people and actually change the product mm-hmm. and the message and so on. So actually, at two weeks into this job I'd aspired to for a really long time, I really had to leave this company that I wanted to work for wow. for the rest of my life. And that ultimately led to the, the path to starting Rosetta three years later. So it, it's very similar to John's lessons about failure. You know, if you... if inevitably you're going to fail if you let the lesson and the hurt and then the insight in it can lead to some really great stuff sure the other the other failure that i had actually was with rosetta we as i mentioned we sold the business for 575 million dollars we created 27 millionaires uh and i had a lot of partners who were really angry with me because they felt that we should have built the business to a billion dollars and they Mm, should have gotten more more money they were mad because they made millions. And that was my fault because I didn't manage their expectations correctly. Mm. I said, let's go create a billion-dollar business. And then you sold it for half that. They heard, we are going to create a billion-dollar business and mm. were disappointed at the payday. So are you upset with the expectation you built or the, with the uh, not continuing to go to a billion? Uh, well, it was the right time to sell the business. Yeah. Uh, but it was an incredibly valuable lesson in leadership, which is – People always want more, mm-hmm. and you have to very carefully manage expectations. And that's on my shoulders, and I, yeah. I, I carry that scar with me because yeah. it was a great success. My uh, chief talent officer said it was the most extraordinary day. We handed out whatever it was, $48 million to people, and they were pissed. I've never seen anything like Investors that. Investors or these are employees. employees. These are people Shut I Shut up. On. They were yeah. pissed. They were pissed because their expectation was far greater than that. 
Wow. But, really important lesson though, because I don't I don't I don't blame them. I know it sounds like a horrifying thing. Because they thought that we were going to a billion dollars and they thought they were gonna They get had it. already spent the money in their heads, right? They'd already spent what they what thought the leader, was coming. Yeah, and that's what the leader needs to do. And this is something that drivers do wrong, being a driver I <laughs> tell you. Promoting where, yes. Well, exactly. Exactly. You can oversell something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? In fact, I have once could be the biggest business in the world. <laughs> What I love, what I love about that story, I was just thinking, Lewis, about about your title, your brand here. You know, more is very seductive, mm-hmm. but it ain't nearly as good as great. Yes, <laughs> I yes. mean, if you if your business was the school of more, yeah, I'd be screwed. <laughs> I'd be screwed. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Wow, you wrote that many checks and people are upset. Um, I think it's a whole other topic of when you should sell. Yeah. We can talk yeah. about it another time. When should you sell your business? That would be fun because there's a right answer to that. There and is. a lot of wrong answers. Is the bird in the hand better than two in the boot? Yeah. Is the, yeah. You know, and where's the market going? And is the anticipating? You know, is the business flattening out or does it have another very important Do you important have a short questions. answer for this or no? Not really. No. <laughs> but it. I appreciate the we'll question. We'll do another one. Yes. Excellent. We'd love that. John, um, and, I, John and I would love that. Let's finish with uh, a couple final questions. Uh, I do a, a question called the three truths. So I'll let you both answer um, before we get into that, I want to make sure they all know where to go. It's called Built for Growth, how builder personalities shapes your business, your team, and your ability to win uh, by Chris and John. So, guys, make sure you guys go check this out. Uh, we'll have it linked up in the show notes. It's also builtforgrowth.com and all the links are there to where and to buy. And available at Amazon. Everywhere. And everywhere, and everywhere, yes. Everywhere and bookstores around the country. Very cool. Make sure you guys get this. I highly recommend uh, you take a look. It's kind of like the advanced version of uh, Good to Great, it seems like. It's kind of like what that book should have been, right? <laughs> Thank you for that. It's a good little t- quote you can put <laughs> on there. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but I think it's it's a it's a powerful for you guys. Are I'm going to acknowledge you both right now because I think any tools that that are out there to help people know themselves better and give them the resources and tools for breaking down what is a very complicated system, our inner world yeah, and understanding how we work, even though we may, this may be like a simplified version of how everyone's actually works. It's going to help people move forward in their business with less fear, with more certainty, with more ease in a, in a situation that is already very challenging for a lot of people. So I acknowledge you both for, spending the time decades of your time to probably fail over and over to figure this out in the first place to make it in an easy uh, way for us to understand and apply it for our lives. So acknowledge you both for the, the effort, the Thanks energy and the results you create in the world. Um, so we'll, we'll finish with the three truths and then one more question after that. Um, if this was your last day for both of you many years from now, uh, final day on earth that you're aware of, um, and all your friends and family there, you've achieved everything you've ever want to achieve. All your dreams, you made the money, you've made the mark, whatever happened. Um, but for whatever reason, everything had been erased that you ever created. Your books, your businesses, information, videos, gone. No one had access to anything except for a piece of paper and uh, that you got to write down three things you know to be true about all of your experiences in life. Three life's truths or lessons. Mm-hmm. We'll let you start, John. Three truths. One, each of us has a limited amount of time and a developable but ultimately limited amount of talent. The key question is, 
what are the issues, challenges, needs, and problems that are worth your particular time and your particular talents? Number one. Second, however you answer that first question, make sure it doesn't start with me, that it starts with others. Mm. Because if you focus on the needs of others, you are likely to bring forth a much greater degree of surprising capability by yourself. And lastly, don't think too highly of yourself. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm fond of a, there's a, there's a phrase, there's a phrase that Oscar Wilde uh, quoted. He said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. <laughs> and, and I think that's ultimately the case. So sure. you are responsible for your own path. You're responsible for your own legacy. You decide. Yeah. That's the responsibility that I think each of us has as human beings. I like that. And what about you, Chris? Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll start with three words and then describe each of them. So first, curiosity. Secondly, impact. And third, love. So in terms of curiosity, and I was fortunate enough to grow up in, a, in an academic family, and uh, curiosity was up there above athletics, above godliness. If you were curious, you got dessert. Mm, uh, really? That's <laughs> very cool. Pavlovian. That's cool. Um, but but I, I, I uh, ins- try to inspire my own children, uh, my students, my mm. friends, to follow your curiosity. Mm. The amazing thing about being a person is that we have this ability to conceptualize, to think, to create. And curiosity, I think, is the engine for creativity. What are you curious about? It could be anything. And that provides uh, the foundation for a fascinating life. Ideally, your curiosity then leads to some level of impact. And that impact could be to a small group. It could be a large group. It could be just to a single person. But if your curiosity can help you have an impact on others, Mm. life can be very, very satisfying. And then lastly, love. And it sounds a little bit corny, but I think particularly as I've gotten older, that human connection with others, you could call it love, you can call it appreciation, but the ability to connect Mm. with somebody else is a profound experience. And then in the best of all worlds, your curiosity, your impact, and your love all are reinforcing. Mm. Those are great answers. I love it. Uh, Well, the final question for both of you is what's your definition of greatness? I'll let you start first. You know, I think it actually relates to the last question. Mm. I think greatness is a question of impact, right? We're here for such a short period of Mm. time. We're all struggling through this thing called life. And if you can have an impact on something, right? You could be a great athlete. You could be a great musician. You could be an okay athlete. You could be a great coach to a Mm. little league team, right? But if you can have impact on others, that's how I define greatness. Mm. And for me, uh, very similarly, uh, greatness is about the ripple effects uh, that your life has had in the in the pond of reality. Um, that if you've had the good fortune and perhaps the courage to have an impact on others that's positive, mm-hmm. that improves whatever the state of the status quo is in their lives, so that you've made it possible for other people to live fuller and richer lives, starting with the people that you love, that you're responsible for, that you care about, but actually extending to strangers, mm. uh, the people you'll never see, the people you'll never know, right. uh, but who nonetheless can be affected by and can benefit from your particular connection, your yeah. particular impact. Yeah. I love it. Guys, this was awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having us. The book is Built for Growth. 
John, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Chris. Lewis, you guys thanks are amazing. so much. We got to connect Appreciate more. It. Love that. I'm, I'm inspired by this, and I hope you guys get the book. So thank you. Great. Thank Thanks you. There you have it, guys. Did you figure out what your personality type is as an entrepreneur? If not, make sure to go to lewishouse.com slash 517, where we'll have all the show notes there, the link where you can learn about your personality type, where you can take the quiz, check out their book, and uh, really dive in, because this is some fascinating stuff for me. Again, Share this with your friends on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Tag me at Lewis Howes and let me know what you thought of this episode specifically. And what did you learn about yourself? What do you need support with? All these different things. Let me know again at Lewis Howes. Again, thank you guys for being a part of the School of Greatness journey. This was a powerful one. And the next episode, we have another professor coming on to talk about money, a finance and economic professor over at Harvard, who's been teaching for 18 years and one of the top experts on this topic. So get ready on the next episode for another edition of Professor Week. And as always, you guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.